Max Tegmark is one of the most recognized thought leaders when it comes to AI, and his theories unnecessarily controversial, but they're highly thought-provoking. Will AI eventually be one of the best things that's ever happened to humans, or potentially the worst, and possibly even wipe us out? This is a fascinating conversation with a best-selling author, TED Talk speaker, and scientist, Max Tegmark. Welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast, brought to you by Dynatrace. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast. We are super excited today because we have a world-leading AI thought leader, author of Life 3.0, which was a fascinating book, Max Tegmark. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with one little uh, unknown fact that we discovered when we got together, which was uh, we're both, well, you live in Winchester and I was living in Winchester. We were neighbors. We lived around the corner from each other. That's where the action is. This great metropolis with 20,000 people. Normally, we start off these podcasts and we give the, the people sort of four questions, mm. right, Claire? So uh, this time, because we've got so much to cover, I don't want to do four. I want to go straight to the, uh, to the end. And that is, we ask people to finish this sentence. And the sentence starts with, AI will dot, 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 dot. Become either the best thing or the worst thing to ever happen to humanity. That's a pretty big statement. What's the, what are the consequences of the best thing? And then maybe what's the consequences of the worst thing? Well, the upside on the best thing is just uh, unfathomably large, right? Because everything we love about civilization is the product of human intelligence. So if we can amplify our intelligence with artificial intelligence, obviously it raises the possibility that we could solve all these problems that we're stumped by today. No. If someone now dies of an uncurable cancer, well, we can figure it's not scientifically uncurable. We just haven't been smart enough to figure out how to cure it. We can figure out how to lift everybody out of poverty, how to get our act together as a species. And if we feel that uh, this planet is a little too small, it can help us figure out how to help life spread into the cosmos as well. So there's literally not even the sky is the limit if we get it right. So there's a lot of things to be excited about because the media portray AI almost as evil, but it doesn't have to be that way, does it? No, AI is not evil, nor is it morally good, though. You have to be careful. I think a lot of people are making the mistake of treating tech as their new religion. And they have this mantra that all that more technology is automatically good technology. But technology is a tool, right? A knife can be used to make a great barbecue or it can be used to do really bad stuff. It's the same with AI, except it's so much more powerful than a knife. So it's all going to come down to what we do with it. And the reason I said it could be the worst thing ever is for the same reason, right? The really nastiest stuff that humankind has done, we did with our intelligence. That's why we have caught, killed a lot more than uh, tigers have, right? So if we get these superhuman powers, it's not at all unthinkable that one or very few pe people could just use that to dominate the whole planet. Imagine your least favorite leader and then imagine that they just take over the planet with future AI tech, you know, how does that feel? And it might get even worse where 
in charge right now, we humans of this planet, because we're smarter than the tigers and the other animals. If we make something even smarter than us, there's no guarantee that we won't even lose control and we might just get wiped out the same way that we wiped out the Neanderthals. We are the smartest race, but also potentially one of the stupidest races as well. So that, that for me gives me concern that we could have the potential to wipe ourselves out. Is that something you're worried about? Absolutely. I, I, I feel that the strategy we need to pursue if you want an awesome future with AI is to win the wisdom race, the race between the growing power of the technology and the growing wisdom with which we manage it. And uh, we've had the same challenge with all technology, right? It, we've usually gone by by um, learning from mistakes. First, we invented fire, made a lot of mistakes, and then invented the fire extinguisher, right? First, we invented the knife, as we discussed. And then later, we realized, hey, we should have some laws against doing certain things with knives and put people in a place where they get to calm down for a few years. Uh, the problem with, with more powerful tech, like hydrogen bombs or future super intelligent AI is that learning from mistakes is no longer a good idea when the mistakes could be so severe that one mistake is one too many. So I think we really need to shift gears here and switch into more of a safety engineering mindset where we instead think through the things that could go wrong, not to be scaremongers, but to just to make sure they don't go wrong. Like when we sent people to the moon, NASA systematically thought through everything that could go wrong when you put a bunch of dudes on top of explosive fuel tanks and send them somewhere where no one can help them, right? They weren't trying to be scaremongers. They were just doing the safety engineering that ensured that things did not go wrong. I think if we can do that with AI, then we have a much better shot at getting all this upside without uh, wiping out. But that takes time, Max. I haven't got time for this because I just want to go really fast with AI and I don't really care about the consequences. How do we teach people, like putting people on the moon, that you might need to do some safety engineering, you might need to do some planning because people's lives could be lost and it's quite probable. What do we need to do to educate people to maybe just slow down a little bit? I think we just got the perfect wake-up call here, COVID. Hmm. People were saying, well, we don't need to plan ahead and worry about scary things that people are warning us about because we'll deal with it you know, after the fact, once it happens. And, and look at the scorecard now. You have on one hand, countries like Australia and even more so South Korea, you know, which has much more people than Australia. They have 1,800 deaths last time I checked because they had a plan. They were prepared. And then on the other hand, you have countries like the one I'm living in right now, which was like, nah, let's... Mm. cross that bridge when we get there and here we are with hundreds of thousands of deaths so and much much greater cost to the economy also than those who had actually planned ahead morale of the story is i think putting a bit of effort in to actually think planning ahead is a really good idea not just for future biological pandemics but for any things that could really wreak mayhem with with cause mayhem on humanity I agree with you, but at the same time, I also kind of go like the majority of the human population would be just like, well, thank God that pandemic's over. Let's go back to the way life used to be and let's just keep carrying on as we did before. Well, that's the big mistake, isn't it? Because Southeast Asia were prepared more so because of SARS. So, you know, there's a there's the difference is if you do learn and, and you do sit 
you know, take a, a step back and go, okay, let's make sure this doesn't happen again rather than repeating the mistakes is what you were saying, Max, I think. That's true. But maybe maybe we can have a little hope that people will generalize a bit. Like if somebody is very sloppy with a chainsaw and cuts off their left hand, maybe later on they'll automatically be more careful with that circular saw before they cut off the right hand because even though it's not exactly the same kind of technology, they can see be like, hmm, maybe with tech more generally, I, I should read, I should plan ahead. One example where society turned out to be much more vulnerable than we would have hoped. Maybe that can open people's mind to the idea that society is also more vulnerable than they thought towards AI <laughs> causing uh, mass manipulation or Orwellian surveillance or arms, new arms races. Uh, maybe they can be more open also to the fact that we should stop uh, playing Russian roulette with nuclear weapons, etc. I mean, they're very similar. All of these are, are examples of technology and other phenomena that are just more powerful than, than fire and knives and that and cars and the sort of stuff that we could handle by, by learning from mistakes. And it's very natural that the longer we go as a species, the better we get at science, right? The more powerful our tech is going to get. What's your take on the media? Are they, is it a good thing and they're educating or are they sensationalist and crazy? I think the media is just so bad compared to the scientific literature where we publish our AI papers and and so on. Media today is, of course, mainly optimizing for clickbait and getting getting you to spend as much time as possible staring into a rectangle and watching ads, regardless of whether you're reading about the most important thing or not. So we have to take a scientific view on this in term in terms of the Tesla cars. I looked it up and uh, right now there are more than 10 times as many fatalities per kilometer driven in gasoline cars as in Tesla's. So it's just that it's more sexy and clickbaity, of course, to, to, to write about this. And you see the same stuff in public health. Sometimes there'll be some new fad scare in the newspapers, which will focus on some very, very tiny risk. And people will be so freaked out about that, that they switch to doing something more dangerous instead so more we, we basically need to have uh, i think some ways in which science can play a little bit or a greater role in how we as a species figure out the truth i do want to touch on the the positives of like what ai is bringing to us and, and we work in an environment in in it and in technology where an ai is actively helping people solve problems and work more efficiently. You mentioned so many different industries from health to my favorite one, which was legal and a case of where Israeli judges were serving harsher penalties because they were hungry and maybe a robo judge would be more appropriate. Can you share, share us some examples of like where AI is active and genuinely helping us as a society and where it could go? With pleasure. Let me just, also mentioned that the reason I decided to start the book off with that little piece of fiction there was because I felt just like you said before that our clickbait hungry media really gets us worrying about the wrong thing. Like robots with machine guns stomping all over us, you know, which is frankly not on my top 10 list of, of things we should worry about with AI. It's the intelligence that, that we should be concerned about, not the not the, whether it comes in some sort of with hinges and motors and things. If you're smart enough, you can 
just go on the internet and pay other people to do all the stuff for you you want. So let's talk about the upside here a bit. Basically everything good you can do with human intelligence, you know, AI can potentially help you with. If it's a question of more fair and impartial judgments, like you mentioned, um, if you can explain it really clearly to an, an algorithm, sure. Uh, if you are um, trying to figure out how to save your near and dear who have cancer or whatever, you know, again, intelligence really helps here. We've actually seen in very exciting stuff happening in recent years. We now have, we're beginning to democratize healthcare by having algorithms that are as good as the best human doctors at um, diagnosing um, lung cancer and a lot of other diseases from imaging data. So you could imagine people in, in uh, less privileged areas where they don't can't afford top-notch healthcare getting these diagnoses via the cloud basically for free, right? Amazing stuff. And uh, you can also um, look at what happens to medical research itself. You know, one of the oldest, fam most famous unsolved problems in biology has been the protein folding problem. Basically, I give you the genetic sequence of um, with the, for how to make a protein and you have to figure out what shape it's going to fold up into. Is it going to be like a donut, like the hemoglobin protein that takes oxygen around your blood or, or something else? Well, guess what? AI just solved that courtesy of Google DeepMind announced in December. And I think these sort of things can really, really accelerate drug discovery and, and save massive numbers of lives. There's, it's hard to think of any fundamental challenge that scientists have been stumped on, frankly, by, frankly, where AI doesn't have the potential to help a lot. Who's leading the charge? You, you, you know, you, you just mentioned Google, DeepMind. You know, if you read the media, there's the Googles, the Facebooks, the Teslas, you know, these sort of brands out there with laboratories and the average... You know, if I have the conversation with a mum and dad at school, they're like, well, Facebook and Google and these people, they're just evil and they're going to manipulate us and service ads. Who's leading the charge out there when it comes to AI and are they doing things that are going to help? I would say today the charge is mainly led by those who, who can see how they can make a lot of money on it in the fairly short term. That's why Facebook is doing it because they can sell more ads to you that way by increasing your screen time, right? They're not doing it because they're fundamentally evil. I have a lot of friends at Facebook, but because they want to make a profit because that's what their shareholders want. So the ultimate blame, I think, doesn't go really to the people in the companies, but to the governments who don't level the playing field and ensure that what the companies do is in the, in the national interest. But that's how it is today. I would like to see a lot more investment from governments into open research and universities so that the fruits of the discoveries can be shared publicly. If you take something like uh, the discovery of antibiotics, for instance, right? At this point, who cares really who discovered it? It turned out it was Alexander Fleming in England, but it helped the Chinese and the Australians and the Indians equally much because very quickly this became available to everybody. And I think uh, the, the larger the fraction of these sort of potentially life-changing discoveries can end up in the public domain because they're funded through universities, the better we're all going to be off as, as a species. You hit on a good point. Uh, 
So AI has be, is being developed and maybe is going faster if I summarize it and you can correct me if I can get this wrong, but they're going faster because there's economic value to do so. So you can do more with less people, you can make more money in the book you talked about it as well. So that means isn't and you also talked about the technology divide. So the AI and technology is creating a bigger division in society where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And I wrote in my note, what should governments be doing about it? Because this divide is exponential. As technology is exponential, the divide could also be exponential. What should we do as a society? What should the governments, because I assume it's only the governments that can do something about this. Who else can do anything about it? That's right. Well, although the governments in our democracies are only going to do things if their voters really are aware of this and insist on it, right? Otherwise, they're just going to listen to the lobbyists mm -hmm. keep telling the government, oh, don't regulate us, you know, trust us. So um, what's important to remember, I think, is that uh, this is not a zero-sum game, you know, where the only way some people can get better off is by taking stuff from others, the way it used to be in ancient times where the wealth kind of came from the land. And if like, if Denmark wanted more land, they had to take it from Sweden or whatever. And no, technology can make everybody dramatically better off at the same time by producing more goods and services. So obviously if we do this right as a species, if machines and algorithms can help us produce dramatically more goods and services, say the world GDP goes up by uh, a hundredfold, right? Mm -hmm. It's quite easy to find a way of dividing all this up so everybody gets better off in Australia and the US and China and Russia and all groups of people, all races, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's not gonna happen by default because it, by default, lobbyists are gonna just insist that governments should still be allowed to be unregulated, manipulate the media so that the media only write stories saying that media sh that the tech companies shouldn't be regulated, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, that's exactly what's been happening in the last few years. We can see all of a sudden the top five companies on in the S&P 500 are te big tech, yeah. right? And that's never going to unhappen again. And there are more lobbyists in Brussels now from tech and in DC from tech companies than from bit from oil companies. So, and, and as you were saying there, it's very natural that this fuels inequality because if you replace human workers who are by algorithms or machines, right, then the money that went in salaries, the people often in the lower half of the income distribution, that money is now going to go to those who own the algorithms or the machines who were probably already in the upper half of, of the income distribution. And you can see a traditional company like Ford is worth much less money on the stock market than a company like Facebook, even though it has much more employees, right? So the, the capital to, to uh, worker ratio goes kind of way up. Now, I think don't think it's true though that it has to be a disaster if our economy becomes more AI dominated. In fact, I don't even think it has to be a disaster if there are some jobs, if most people can no longer compete with machines for jobs. It's a kind of weird modern notion anyway that we have to compete with, with machines. They, why do we want jobs? We want jobs because they bring us income and because they bring us a sense of purpose and because they bring us friends. So as long as we get all of them, 
see things in some other way, screw the jobs. You guys, I spent many years of your life not having a job, and I think you were still pretty happy as children, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. And uh, if we have a government, therefore, who just, just collects enough taxes from this yeah. growing economic pie that they can um, make sure that everybody gets better off and also have retain enough control over society so we don't just become a bunch of, you know, AI manipulated zombies that just sit and click and play, click, click, click all day long, but actually have a rich social life, right? I think things can work out um, quite well. The problem is, right, that by default the decisions about what sort of future we're going to get with this will be made by some tech nerds who have not even been elected and and even though i know many of these uh, industry leaders personally they're nice people and all they are not uniquely qualified in, in in on the question of what makes human beings happy they're not psychologists or sociologists or anything like that so the key is to just get people everybody listening to this thinking about what kind of society do we want to have right if we want to have a society where machines produce most of the wealth but we all are doing fine then uh, if it turns out that people get happy working as teachers and nurses then the government should of course just use some of that massive growing tax revenue it gets from the tech sector to hire nurses and teachers so we can have those jobs the kind of jobs that just suck to have and people don't like yeah, let the machines take over those. But it, it's ridiculous when people say to me, oh, we have to get rid of these nurses and teachers because the government can't afford paying them when <laughs> the GDP is just growing and growing. So we've got to raise it. So, so it comes back to simple, right? We've got to raise company tax in order to redistribute wealth to people so that they can be teachers and and soccer coaches and arts and and so we actually could get back to a life where I read, I think it was 30 years ago that we were going to, because of AI and technology, we we're all going to be working 30 hours a week and we're going to have all this spare time. Maybe the only way we can do it is if the governments do increase tax rates and distribute more wealth to people so we don't have to work insane hours and there can be more equilibrium. Is that fundamentally what you're saying? And then without getting into all the politics of it, is that really going to happen? Because... Almost the U.S. is the opposite of like they've lowered the company tax rates and made it harder. So that was the most, even though it wasn't talked about much, that's the most lasting legacy of Donald Trump, that we lowered corporate tax rates and added some more more loopholes. Uh, It's going in the opposite direction. You know, there are three people in the U.S. who own about as much wealth as the poorest half of the population, 160 million last time I checked. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are some countries like Japan and Scandinavian countries which have chosen to have a lot more equal societies. And, and even in those countries, right, the rich people also get richer. It's not like just because you take more of a fair share from the richest people that they are going to get richer, get poorer in absolute sense. You don't even necessarily have to raise tax rates so much. Just closing loopholes in the U.S. would go a very long way because a lot of the big tech companies pay almost no income tax because they'll put all their IP in some tax haven like the Cayman Islands, and then they get all this income from selling their products, and then they pay all that money to the tax haven for this IP that's sitting there, and the U.S. government gets pretty screwed. Uh, and we go along with this because they have so many lobbyists, you know, who persuade us that. 
it's it's absolutely possible to to uh, to do things better. And I actually think even you know if you are one of the richest people on earth, it's even in your interest in the longer term to uh, have a have less extreme income inequality because as long as you believe in democracy, right? Democracy only really flourishes if you don't have too extreme income inequality. It just doesn't work otherwise. If if you have vast majority vast groups of people who can't even afford to get a good education, uh, ch children who go hungry and don't learn even the most fundamental things they need to know later to vote, because then you're just creating a population that's easy to manipulate with AI and you're not going to have this um, the, the democracy that we've fought so hard to create is not going to live up to its potential. What on earth is the Future of Life Institute? Why did you start it and what does it stand for? The goal of the Future Life Institute is simply that we want the future life to exist rather than go and be involved in going extinct. And, we, and uh, me and my uh, colleagues who started this don't feel that that should be some sort of controversial left versus right issue, but something we could all kind of rally behind. But it's so easy to lose sight of this. I think of us as being on this spaceship Earth. We're hurtling through space on this blue spinning spaceship here. Right? And instead of realizing that we could all get dramatically richer and healthier and better off by using this technology in a cooperative way, we're, we're doing so much squabbling about who's going to have 1% more and, one, and ripping each other off that we're actually jeopardizing the entire survival of our species. And I think after 13, we spent 13.8 billion years, you know, to get this opportunity to do something awesome with technology. And we founded the Future Life Institute because we would find it would really suck if we squander it just from, from failing to see the big picture. So, so we are a bunch of people from the sciences and the tech community mostly who started this nonprofit organization to draw attention to this, that, hey, you know, there's this huge prize for all of us, if we can get our act together. And uh, we've organized a series of conferences and given out research grants for people to study like how you can make AI more safe and robust and so on. And uh, it's been quite the journey, actually. When we started this seven years ago, you could hardly talk about risks with AI without being branded as a, as a Luddite scaremonger. So that was our first goal, to mainstream AI safety. We put together the first large conference, bringing together leading people from the AI industry and academia, together with people who had sounded the war been crying wolf sort of off to themselves to discuss you know, which of these risks were really real and what we could do about them. And, and I'm very happy actually to see that now it has become to some extent much more mainstream. I go to AI conferences all the time for my research. There is always sessions about how you can make AI systems actually trustworthy, how you can make them robust so they do what they're supposed to do. But I, I still feel that uh, we're going mostly in the wrong direction because now there's a lot of acknowledgement that um, you have to have things safe in the sense that companies you know, don't want to go bankrupt because their system got hacked or their stock trading system lost massive amounts of money by because they didn't understand it or because you had racially biased AI algorithms in courtrooms. All of these things have, of course, taken place spectacularly, but rather still dismissing the longer term risk that this could actually be a threat to our survival as a species, which it obviously is. I mean, what, what, again, why is it that we are the most powerful 
species on the planet? Is it because we humans have like bigger biceps than tigers? Because we have sharper teeth? Not so much. It's because we're so smart, right? So again, if you if you just imagine your least favorite people having access to future AI that's so far beyond human capabilities that they can just use it to manipulate or otherwise take over the world. I don't think that's the future we want. And it's also, again, quite possible that, that they would end up losing control of this system. It's hard. It's quite hard for a five-year-old child, you know, to lock in and control intelligent grown-ups without being tricked somehow so the grown-ups get out, right? This is a famous open um, problem in AI research. Is it even possible to be guaranteed that, that an AI system that keeps getting smarter and smarter beyond human levels can actually be ensured to always do what's, what you want it to do until we have more technical research on this and, and hopefully get an affirmative answer. We have to be incredibly careful. So I think this sort of arms race mentality we're seeing now where superpowers are kind of racing each other to try to get there first is sort of like two people racing as, as fast as possible towards this cliff, you know, and they have no plan for what they do to do how they're going to stop when they when they get there. So for someone listening and they're going, uh, two scenarios there, the AI just gets really, really smart and eventually just doesn't have a need for humans so it just wipes it out. So that's sort of scenario one or scenario two is we develop like autonomous weapons and go into a nuclear arms AI race and we eventually just wipe ourselves out anyway. What's your percentage probability that this happens in say the next 50 years? Oh, I mean... I'm a pretty cheerful guy, but I definitely think that there's a less than 50% chance that we humans are going to survive. That there are going to be any humans left in 100 years. 50% chance. Less than. He's less saying. than. <laughs> well, I took 50. <laughs> We're all going to die. That's why I'm so motivated to work on this, of course. Yeah. But you have to remember, this is not some sort of downer project, like trying no. to avoid nuclear winter or something with, where either there is a new global nuclear war, which would suck, or nothing happens. If you get this one right, you're not just avoiding extinction, but you're actually winning the jackpot of all jackpots, right? Imagine how incredible it would be if, if what we can do as a species is limited no longer by what we can figure out ourselves, but limited just by the laws of physics. That would mean that all the cool things from the, from the sci-fi literature that you thought maybe would happen in a million years, you know, maybe it can happen in your lifetime. So, so there's an incredible upside also, if, if you can get this right. And it's so worth uh, fighting for. I found your book really good in the sense that it was hopeful. I didn't find it fear-mongering at all. Um, that The mere fact that you had a conference where everyone was willing to be open-minded and put aside their own um you know i guess agendas to to talk about something so important i i found was a hopeful sort of place to start um and you yeah got some, so that's where you'd hope that the majority of people yeah, would you've be got some but amazing people as part of this institute like i mean one of the more famous people is elon musk yeah what's it, he like yeah, what's, yeah. He, what's he like? What's he? Is he actively involved? And, and are there other people that the the common public would know? And like, I know no disrespect to obviously the scientists of the world who deserve like our teachers far more recognition than they um, than they get these days. But you do have some very uh, 
high profile people as part of this institute. So it's a very serious cause. Well, I feel very, very fortunate to get to spend time with such inspiring people. And, and it's very interesting because both Elon Musk and also world leading AI researchers like Stuart Russell, who wrote the sort of textbook on AI, right? They're often uh, portrayed in the popular media as some kind of gloomy doomsayer scaremongers. But when you get to know them, you realize that's a complete distortion. Not that media, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> AI is good, media is evil. But you can see why it is. Because it's precisely because they, Elon, for example, likes to think a bit bigger picture than most people. Not just think the next election cycle, but think about what might what things could be like in 50 years and not and even beyond Earth, you know. Um, if it's, it's anyone who thinks more in that perspective will realize how ridiculous it is that we're being so sloppy with this opportunity we have, right? And that's exactly why they're sounding an alarm, not because they're any more gloomy than anyone else, but just because they see how much upside there is to sort of squander. You know, if you walked into some kindergarten today with a big box and say, hey kids, here is some nifty stuff you can play with. And you put in there, you know, the new incredibly effective COVID virus, sorry, COVID vaccine, which um, gives you lifetime immunity, immunity with one shot and is room temperature storable and whatever. And you also put in all sorts of other goodies, like some stuff, something about how you cure cancer, all cancers and this and that and the other thing. And they also put some hand grenades in and some poison, poison candy bars or whatever, you know. The problem with this is that those kids don't quite have the wisdom to make the most of what's in that box. And most likely it's gonna end badly, even though within that goodie box, right? is so much upside. This is very much how I think of uh, the gift that AI brings to us. All the good stuff is in there, but we need to be very mind deliberate with, in how we deal with it. And, in addition to make it even worse, it's as if those kindergartens were divided into two or three factions that were like fighting with each other about who was going to have what in the box. That doesn't increase the odds that it's going to go well, right? Max, does it worry you? Like you, you, you're making such a good point, right? So educated people will make educated decisions. And, um, and the problem also, and we've mentioned this a couple of times now, and I see this with my kids, which is why I'm having to bring it up because you mentioned kindergartens, but the media is also evil. And my kids follow people on YouTube that are not intelligent at all and have no factual background whatsoever. It's clickbait. They're not scientists. They're not qualified. I think it's up to society in terms of the parents and the community to help guide them. They if it's in front of them they're going to click on it if they're six how, years old how? or they're <laughs> seven you yeah, know but how because i have i have like most people like us right i think we've lived in an era where there was no youtube no sensationalist media it was credible newspapers <laughs> you read them something you had a bit of an opinion you went okay right so we seem to be the balanced majority right then you have the grandparents that i think they forgot that the media was supposed to be balanced so they're off doing sensationalist things and then you've got the kids that are growing up with sensational stuff and I think as a society, we're flipping to sensationalist things because we're electing people that probably shouldn't be elected into political positions, not just That's in any happened. country, but lots of countries around the world. So you can't <laughs> always just control. Do, do you know, like, so how do we get more of the scientists? 
How do we get more of a scientific voice? I think you're raising two separate, incredibly important points here, actually, which kind of sum up much of what we've discussed. First one is, it's so e easy to, to say, oh, you know, the problem is just all those other people, not us, not the three yeah. of us, because we are so educated and... Um, <laughs> No best, then we don't ever fall for any propaganda uh, thank or anything. You, Max. I wasn't saying that specifically. <laughs> no, 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 I, a lot of that in my university bubble where I work, where many of my colleagues are completely convinced that they that the problem is just a bunch of other people who are somehow less educated than them yeah. or whatever. But as a matter of fact, you know, it's easy to become humble if you just remind yourself of some facts. Like, for example, when when the US decided to invade uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraq for those weapons of mass destruction, you know, it was not actually Fox News that was mainly beating the war drums. It was New York Times and newspapers like that. And most of my very erudite, uh, you know, self-proclaimed ex intellectual experts were persuaded that, yes, of course, there are weapons of mass destruction there. So first thing we need to do is be humble. You know, the principle number one of science is question always question all authorities including ourselves right mm -hmm. we have to start with that uh, the second point you make i think is is um, really kind of almost wraps up the whole discussion we've had well, you, you mentioned evil and and people claiming that media is evil i actually think the real threat from ai is not that it turns evil but that it turns very competent and has goals that just aren't aligned with our goals. And, and that is exactly what's, if, if you can't imagine that happening with AI, well, just look at how it happened with the media. You know, we all have friends. I have a lot of friends who work in the media. They're not evil people, nor are their bosses, but they have an incentive. Their industry has a goal to give profits to their shareholders. Ergo, they're going to have a lot of conscious and unconscious incentives to write articles and in a way that people click on them a lot and and off you go right so misaligned incentives is really the problem if you have if you tell your future self-driving car you know to take you to the airport as fast as possible and then you get there covered in vomit and chased by helicopters and you're like no 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 that's not what i asked for and the car goes that is exactly what you asked for. No, what happened there was actually that there was just a misalignment between the goal the car had and the goal you thought you had given to the car. Or like, if there are ants suddenly in, in that room where you are now, you know, even though you're not the kind of people, I think, who if you're just walking downtown and you see an ant on the sidewalk, you're going to go out of your way to stomp on it because you're evil ant haters. In the case where they're actually in that living room there, you know, tough luck for the ants, I think, right? Not because you hate ants or because you're evil, but just because your goals clashed with the goals of the ants and you are more intelligent than the ants. So therefore, tough luck for the ants. The biggest risk with AI is exactly what you articulated here, right? That, that we get these very powerful AI systems whose goals just end up not being aligned with humanity's goals. And then we've put ourselves in the position of those ants. Yep. Yep, he's thinking. I can oh, see I it. <laughs> I can see it. 
Well, I wouldn't like. I know we just sort of got a wrap, and we've had such a good conversation. But it's sort of like, so what do we need to do? We need to learn more. We need to be educated. We need to be aware of it. We need awareness is probably the first step, right? You got to be aware that these things could evolve. And one of the most important thing we can all do, everyone listening to this, is to think optimistic thoughts about the future, not to try to go like, la, 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 there's nothing bad that could happen, but rather to try to envision the future that you really want to live in. Because if you think about any collaboration that takes place, you know, if you decide to sacrifice some of your own freedom to get married to someone, for example, it's because you have a shared positive vision of how that's going to be awesome. If two companies decide to have a merger, there's a shared positive vision. Why did the European Union happen? Shared positive vision. What we really need, I think, for a good future with high tech is for a global shared positive vision this time, because just like carbon dioxide and COVID knows no borders, nor does AI technology, right? Yet we're doing such a terrible job on that. Uh, I often get students walking into my office at MIT for career advice. I always start by asking them, what is your vision for the future? Where do you see yourself in 10 years, right? And if all she can say is, oh, I think I'm going to have cancer and then oh. I'm going to get a bus, you know, terrible strategy okay. for career planning, right? Such a person is <laughs> some sort of hypochondriac paranoid, right? You're paralyzed with fear. But isn't that exactly what we are doing as a species every time we go to the movies and watch sci-fi about the future? It's just yeah. one freaking dystopia after the other. Or when we read the news today and hardly a day goes by regardless of which superpower you live in without you reading something about how that other superpower is, is out to destroy you. You know, we just constantly are filling ourselves with, with negative visions of the future. Mm. And the, the, if you can really instead articulate a truly inspiring vision for the future that you and other people all around the world would be excited to live in, right? Then there's much more incentive for people to actually work together towards that, right? For example, after World War II, right, when when uh, people were like, oh, damn it, we blew it again, right? Many people were just saying, okay, let's go back and build even more powerful technology for blowing each other up even more effectively. Yeah, but some people at that time actually instead said, hey, let's articulate a, a positive shared vision. So, so, so some people in, in countries like Sweden and other and elsewhere said, hey, let's use all this tech to do like free healthcare for everybody, free university education, free pension systems, and maybe also have more, more um, collaboration between nations. So we get peace through interdependence, you know, and I'm sure even though a lot of people back then were like, hey, you know, go hug a tree, you stupid idealist, you know, it's never going to fly. This was such a compelling vision that it people actually built these things, right? And it spread to, to much of the world. And I, I think today is the perfect day to start thinking about a much more ambitious future than than even that because that's exactly what ai can give you the difference is this time it, it's not good enough if it's just going to be exciting for australia and new zealand and the us or whatever it has to be something that everybody on the planet feels they want to live in it's inspiring you're inspiring for us because you do make me, I mean, you're a brilliant scientist and a brilliant thought leader. You'd probably be terrible in Hollywood. I don't think the AI blockbuster where everyone's sitting around hugging each other and being happy 
would uh, would would prevail for longer I'm than a sure. few hours. <laughs> You'd be happy with it, but um, but but it is something that uh, it's extremely thought provoking. It does really make you go, yeah, actually, we are on. When you said we're on a spaceship, that's where you really go. Like, yeah, this is a spaceship. This is a rock that we're all floating around together on. And when you go up in a plane, or just imagine going in a space shuttle and looking down, there are no borders. There are no like, you know, and that's probably why Europe is coming together and we need to come together with Asia and Asia needs to come together with the US and together we're all one species. Yeah. And for the future of humanity and, the, and, and success, which is relatively important, you raise a really good point and I hope it happens. I, I do too. And coming back to people we discussed earlier who tend to, to look at the bigger picture, right? It's so, isn't it so silly that people start wars over like some tiny areas of uh, some desert somewhere or, or some ocean somewhere or, or whatever when we have hundreds of billions of other planets out there in our galaxy and then hundreds of billions of more galaxies also. It's as if we're, we're in this little airplane and we start a fight over who's going to have the first class seats. Even though if we just land successfully, there is this entire continent down there. Max, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank we you, had a fantastic conversation and uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up and talk to you again. Thank you so much. Good day, mates. <laughs>